Hello, 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 and welcome to the seventh official episode, the Economical Rice Podcast. I'm your host Danny, and over here we hope to serve you the grains of capitalism. Today we will be talking about an up-and-coming industry in Singapore, social entrepreneurship, and how it fares up with the economic environment here. Even though the industry as a whole is pretty young, there are quite a number of businesses that have set up a corner of the market for themselves, including the likes of Bakery Wellness, who sells pastries but at the same time advocates for mental illness awareness, or Innovate CrossFit, who not only provides fitness programs across a variety of demographics, but also aims to promote healthy and active lifestyles through their business as well. The distinctive feature of the social entrepreneur sector, however, and something that is perhaps most fascinating to me, is that they are neither just a traditional business with the singular pursuit of profit, nor just a charity or non-profit organization with the singular pursuit of some social cause. Rather, social, social enterprises are the blend of the two, where they pursue the dual goal of both profit and social causes. In contrast to prior episodes, where I try to show that traditional businesses in their pursuit of profit necessarily gives value or benefit to consumers through the capitalistic system of voluntary mutual exchange, social enterprises go one step further and advocate for direct social causes. While I am in full support of individuals in the private sector taking the initiative to build social enterprises, I am more curious rather than satisfied. After all, are the dual goals of profit and social causes compatible? How sustainable is the business model? What limits are there compared to a traditional profit-seeking business? And if social causes are a key goal, then why set up a social enterprise and not just establish a charity? Therefore, in helping answer these questions, it is a great pleasure that I'm, able to, that I'm able to introduce the second ever guest in the show, Deborah, who is co-founder of the social enterprise Society Staples. Society Staples was founded by Rai Nung and Deborah Lam after a weekend project in 2012 called Dev Dragons, where they held dragon boating sessions with, facilita with facilitators who had disabilities. The duo has since expanded their initial project into a full-fledged business that seeks to accomplish the social cause of inclusiveness for persons with disabilities or PWDs, while at the same time operating as a business services firm that runs team-building workshops and programs for businesses and local schools alike. Most notably, Society Stables is also a role model for budding social entrepreneurs, having received multiple awards during the 2015 ASEAN China Outstanding Young Startup Entrepreneur Award, the 2015 President's Challenge Social Enterprise Startup of the Year, and the Best Disability Focused Social Enterprise in Singapore under the 2017 Social Care Awards. Deborah, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me here. Alright, so I did a little backup and I read through some of your interviews, right, uh -huh. that, that you've previously done. So I wanted to start off talking about your, your background and then maybe some of the, the, so the social cause behind uh, your, your company. So in your, in your webpage and you know, several other interviews that you've done, so I, I found out that both you and Ryan had siblings with uh, disabilities. There was this article on Medium that mentioned that you had two autistic brothers. Yeah. And that was what uh, inspired the social cause in your business. So mm -hmm. could you tell us more about you know, what sort of challenges that you face or your, or your family face? Um, challenges that we face? Well, um, I, I guess our brothers were kind of like a factor of why right now we are working um, you know, towards um, inclusiveness for persons with disabilities. But they are not the sole reason. Mm. So what really happened was um, I was always very aware um, mm -hmm. of the 
differences between my life and my brother's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew how much um, people were very unkind towards, um, you know, my brothers. So both of my brothers went to mainstream school mm. um, and they really, really got bullied a lot. Um, they were not given any opportunities and, and things like that. So, uh, while I, on the other hand, was an extremely lucky and privileged girl, right? So mm. I was always one of the, you know, top of the list whenever teachers had opportunities and they, they needed to nominate someone. Mm. Um, so, so that was kind of how I, I really realized that stark difference. Mm. Uh, for Ryan, on the other hand, um, he never really knew that his brother actually had special needs, mm. um, until very, very, very much later. Mm. Yeah, so to him, the brother was just, you know, um, slow in learning. Right. And, and, yeah, so, so it didn't really occur to him that, oh, you know, my, my, my brother has a disability or, you know, my brother, um, has a certain condition. It was just, yeah, slow in learning, right? So he, he didn't really, that, that difference was not prominent, um, to him at all. Um, until one day, um, that was back in 2011, mm-hmm. uh, he chanced upon this online article, um, while scrolling through Facebook. And, uh, what happened was he saw, um, the article was about this group of special needs school teachers mm-hmm. making very snide remarks about their students. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, something about having to clean, um, the students' drooling saliva. It's very unhygienic. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was really, really nasty. So, um, I think the moment he saw that, that really, really affected him and it kind of mm. shattered his world because prior to that, he just really thought that, you know, the world was a perfect one. He thought that everybody was just inclusive and embracing. Mm. Um, everyone had their place. There was, um, you know, no, no stark differences. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so, so that was really, um, the point where he wrote me in and then he told me, you know, um, hey, we, we need to start doing something, um, mm. to combat this condescending attitudes of society towards persons with disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's quite, that's actually quite an interesting perspective because, you know, I hear from uh, maybe in the US or even in Singapore, right? Mm. When people advocate for, you know, the marginalized group or people with disabilities, people with, uh, you know, underprivileged, those kind, they normally protest and ask the government to try and step in. But yeah. I really, I really think it's kind of admirable that you guys decided to, you know, step up yourselves. Mm. So, so were you in the same school as your brothers? Did you, did you find that the, the school wasn't helping them to, to become more inclusive in their education? Um, my younger brother attended the same primary school as me, but mm. that was after I graduated. So I, I, I never really, like, oh. you know, went to schools to, uh, together. Um, and then after that, we were never in the same schools. Um, but what, what I do know is there was some, years where the teachers were definitely more supportive. Mm. Um, I guess that also comes with a little bit of experience. So um, one of the issues of, you know, um, my, my brothers in mainstream schools is a lot of teachers do not understand them and their condition, mm. right? Because these teachers are not trained. Mm. So I guess as a result of that, sometimes it's not that the teachers, um, you know, on purpose, they want to kind of exclude them, but it's just really subconsciously, they, you, you kind of, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? So mm. I guess, that also kind of put teachers in a spot because, you know, they, they, um, they don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, and even if you kind of research online back then, um, there was close to like zero resources. Yeah, and yeah. even if there was, everything was like US based. Yeah. Right. So it may not be directly applicable, um, to, to, to Singapore. Right. And especially when you speak about the condition of autism, um, every single person's condition is so, so different. The characteristics mm. that they have, um, is th- there is just no two people who are similar for autism at least, right, right? right? So I guess that further complicates things to a certain mm. extent. Yeah. So, so, and, and my brothers were, were really, really bullied a lot. And I think partly one of the reasons is um, really because the, the, the classmates just didn't understand them, right? Because mm. people with autism have quite a few, um, 
characteristics, um, or rather for my brothers, right? So my brothers like to talk to themselves. Um, mm. They like to flap their hands. And, mm. you know, these kind of behaviors, they are not considered common or normal in, mm. you know, in, in everyday society. So I guess when people see things like that, um, and, you know, with that whole lack of understanding, um, people will very naturally either attru- uh, attribute it to, you know, this person being a little bit mental, being yeah. a bit crazy, yeah. or if not, they'll just feel that, oh, you know, this person is very weird. Let's, you know, shun away from him. Yeah. So I, I, I guess that was what happened. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it, it's kind of, I think it's a really good point that you brought up because you, you, you kind of talk about maybe there's some, you know, structural obstacle in, in the sense that teachers don't have the proper training or maybe, uh, we don't have the, the proper education, yeah. you know, proper understanding about the condition of autism, how yes. it affects them, how to properly care for them. Yeah. So, did your, did your parents ever consider putting your, putting your two brothers in like a special needs school or, or was, or were, or were they unavailable in Singapore to meet their, their needs? Um, well, for the, for the elder brother, um, it was the very first time that, because my elder brother is the first child, right? So, right. um, at that point in time, my mom was still, you know, a, 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 a very young lady and, uh, when you really look back 28 years ago, the mm. disability sector in Singapore, there was really just close to zero support. Right. So, you know, like your very first child, um, my mom as a, as a very young parent and first time parent, she didn't know what to expect. And then, um, you know, she realized that my brother was developing slower than other kids. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, one day she just went to the doctors and the doctors just told her that, oh, you know, your son is actually diagnosed with this mm. uh, condition called autism. So, um, I guess it, it was definitely very, very difficult for her to come to terms with it, right? And, you know, with the lack of support and everything, I think it just didn't help. So, uh, which was why, you know, um, my, I guess that's one of the reasons why my mom con- continued to place my elder brother in mainstream school. Mm. Uh, for the younger one, I think around primary four, um, she actually wanted to transfer him to a special needs school. Mm. Um, but by then the waiting list was too long. Mm. Um, you're talking about a few years. Um, mm-hmm. and I think there is like a minimum cutoff point that you need to enter special needs school. Yeah. So by then, if he waits, you know, for the entire waiting list, um, he would be over age yeah, already. Yeah. So, uh, he kind of just had to, you know, continue, um, all the way up to primary six. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he failed PSLE. So right now his, um, in Mountbatten Vocational School. Oh, yeah, okay. so it's not really like a special needs school, but it's just more for, you know, students who don't really do well academically. Right, right, right. Um, but, you know, so, so in that sense, that whole infrastructure and everything is still not, um, as supportive. Yeah, but I, I, but I'm not really sure because both my brothers have never been to special needs schools. So I can't really do a comparison. <laughs> yeah. Alright. So that, that sort of plays into my next question, right? Which is that, you know, I wanted to ask, in, in Singapore, you know, uh, to meet people with disabilities, there are already special facilities uh, that speci- specifically target uh, people with disabilities, including yeah. likes of handicapped toilets, disability parking, you know, and wheelchair ramps for, for many buildings. Mm. So, so how else do you think that inclusiveness for persons with disabilities could be improved upon? Yeah, so, so everything you, other examples you talk about were all infrastructure rise, right? Mm. Um, I think... Infrastructure is easy to create. Yeah. Um, it, I, I would actually say, you know, such hard infrastructure <coughs> is actually, um, more of the government's job. Mm. Yeah, because it's quite difficult for us to, you know, build like wheelchair accessible ramps and toilets and things like that. Yeah. But I think what, what society is really, really lacking, even despite having all this, um, infrastructure in place is really that whole mindset and behavior and attitudes towards persons with disabilities, right? I so see. like a scenario would be, um, if you see a young kid, you know, having a meltdown in a, in a, let's say shopping center, for mm, instance, mm. is the natural first thought that come to your, that, that comes to your mind, you know, instantly would be, 
oh, that kid is a spoiled brat. You know, mm. the parents um, are not able to discipline him well. Mm. Um, you know, the parents must be really, really um, horrible at parenting and, and things like that. Um, or would you think on the other side and think, oh, you know, maybe this kid um, has a condition. Um, you know, um, what can I do to either help the parents or help this kid, right? Like, should mm. I step up and ask the parents what do they need? So I, I guess a lot of people still fall under the first scenario. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, I, I think Singaporeans are still quite judgmental. Um, mm. but you know, once again, that really boils back down to education and awareness. Right. There is still, I mean, definitely it's growing. The sector has improved so much. Yeah. Um, you know, the government is doing so much more. That, that, that one, I, I have to give them credit, um, mm. for it. But, you know, we still have a very, very, very long way to go. Mm. Yeah. And I think, um, a lot of the times when I speak to my friends with disabilities, um, all they really tell me is, oh, I just want to feel accepted and, and, you know, I just want to belong. I want to, you know, I want people to just accept me for who I am. You yeah. realize that a lot of the times they, they don't attribute things like, oh, you know, the buses are not inclusive for me. It's difficult for me to travel yeah. around. They are okay making this, um, accommodations, yeah. right? Just, just taking a longer route or something or spending a little bit more time yeah. leaving house earlier. But the key thing is really how people treat them and how people view them, right? The kind yeah. of, um, glances that, that, that they, that they have to, um, you know, tolerate and deal with mm. when they head out, um, mm. and, yeah, things like that. It's, it's really how, how do people treat them. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant point because it's like, you know, although we have all these, like, uh, structural facilities to, to cope with, uh, PWDs, people with disabilities, is that we still have this uh, sort of, maybe a, a mental gap or a sort yeah. of like intellectual or maybe a, even a cultural gap. Yes. Because some of these, all, all these stigmatized, all, all these, uh, things that we, we normally think of when we see a person with, uh, you know, having a breakdown in public, for example, you know, mm. and we immediately think to the parents. This is all, you know, trained up culturally yes. rather than, it, it, I mean, like, because, because these kind of conditions are so rare, it, 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 not many people experience it. The majority yep. of us yep. don't really get that sort of, empathy or connection exactly. to, to, to sort of understand how it is. Yes. Right. So that's, that's, that's really, that's really great. Okay. So your next question, right? And mm. I, I want to touch on this. Um, so you mentioned in an interview with uh, Medium, right? So you mentioned the quote. I thought this is a really great quote. You are not required to finish your work, yet neither permit to decease from it. Mm-hmm. From a quick Xiao Yin speech at the Societal Leadership Summit 2016. Yeah. Which sort of address the idea that social work is an extremely long process. So how far do you think that society stables is from reaching its goal of fully integrating PWDs? And do you think that you will see it in your lifetime? Ah, uh, how far? Very, 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 very <laughs> far. Uh, well, you, you see, the, the, the things that we are focusing on and what do we really define as an inclusive society, um, brings me back to the point I mentioned earlier, right? It's mm. really a lot about the people. Um, you know, how much can we change people's mindsets and, you know, that change in mindset will influence their behavior and attitudes towards treating persons with disabilities, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, dealing with people is really the hardest. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the, we are extremely, extremely far from it. Yeah. Um, and honestly speaking, I don't think I will ever see an inclusive society the way we define it, um, in, 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 um, in our lifetime. Yeah, I, I honestly doubt. So I think it will take at least a few generations. Right. Um, yeah, ju- just like any social problem, right? So even if you want to elevate a family out of poverty, you know, from a rural area, right. it doesn't just take one generation, right? It's usually a few generations before, you know, so the, the family no, can no, come No, like, out. simple solution. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it will take very long. But I, I guess the... the um, for me to 
be happy enough um, to say that, oh, you know, um, I've done the best that I can and mm. this is how the sector is like now, um, I, I guess would really be more people stepping up. Yeah. Um, yeah, just really, you know, more people stepping up to help. Um, even if you see, let's say, someone with an intellectual or developmental disability, yeah. um, on our, you know, trains or buses, yeah. um, people don't shun, um, them, you know, people, um, don't live like a very big white yeah. gap and, and, yeah. and, and just things like that. I guess the moment I see that, um, I, I would be quite happy and I would proudly, you know, say that, yes, Singapore has progressed. Mm-hmm. Um, to be, you know, a lot more inclusive than what it was in the past. Yeah. And I think also, you know, a, lo- a lot of the time is maybe because it's a sort of a intangible thing, mm. it's, a hard, it's really hard to quantify, you know, how, how inclusive our society is. Yes. Because you can't really grab into, reach into each, each and every yes. person's mind and see, exactly. you know, how, how empathetic are they yeah, towards, yeah, towards this kid or that yes, kid, Yes, right? yes. Impact measurement is a huge, huge problem that we are facing. Yeah. Um, and, and there's no point playing a numbers game, right? Yeah. So, so right now, all the available impact measurement matrix, um, most of them are just tracking numbers, yeah. right? So it, it's very easy for us to say, oh, you know, in 2015, through our events and workshops, we have reached out to 8,000 people. You know, right. in 2016, that figure increased to 10,000, right? right? So it looked like the growth is like amazing, like like yeah. extra, like 2,000 people. But really, yeah. you know, out of that 10,000, how many of them, you know, retain and remember the information? How many exactly. of them actually practice, you know, exactly. now with this increased yeah. awareness and, and, and knowledge and, and things like that? And how many of them actually turn inclusive, right? If just like a... So I'm, I'm always very upfront in the sense that I always tell people... Um, you know, we, our programs are like two to three hours, right? Mm. If just within that two to three hours, if I can make everyone that went through that program inclusive, by now the world would already be inclusive, right? <laughs> because it, it's not as easy as that, right? So, so I know that our impact has a certain limit, right? Where, mm. where it kind of stops. And, and right now we are trying to think what more can we do to continue to sustain and further that impact. I see. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. You know, speaking about, um, Empathy and, you know, trying to, to, to increase inclusiveness and stuff like that, right? Actually, I got, I got some suggestion for you, you know, oh, for, cool. for your business, you know. Okay. Because we're doing a podcast right now, right? I actually right. came across this Singapore, uh, this new, new podcast in Singapore called the Channel Empathy uh-huh. Podcast. They, they want to focus on like marginalized groups in Singapore. Their first episode which just came out, they interviewed this, uh, one of their, the people who's working with the group, right? Okay. He has a degenerative eyesight. So he's just 19 years old and he's working in the company. Right. So I thought that like this way, maybe you can go and go and approach them or something, work yeah. with them or something, right? Because because you know, you, in, empathy and inclusiveness is all about like you know uh, understanding, listening, and getting to know about what what the experience is. You know, yes. living with family members who have a disability or living the life of, of people who have disabilities. This is a, one of the key ways you bridge that that sort of uh, intellectual gap, right? right. The empathy gap. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, you know. Cool, I'll check them out. You could do your own, yes. you know, maybe you can do your own storytelling session, <laughs> or maybe you can go and approach them for, yeah. for assistance. Yeah. Alright, so, so that's, that's very good. Alright, so next, I want to transition more to Society Staples as a mm, business. Sure. Talk about, you know, the business or the value prospect that right. they bring, right? Yeah. So, I really, really love this idea that you, that you pointed out in one of your interviews with uh, Asia for Good. Mm. Where you talked about role reversal in your programs. Yes. Right? Where, where people with disabilities, they become facilitators and yep. the participants can see them in a sort of different perspective. Right. So could you tell us how you came upon this idea of role reversal and how it plays into your social goal of uh, inclusion for, 
person with disability. Mm, okay, well, well, the idea was Ryan's, uh, really. So yeah. how me and Ryan complement one another is, uh, I like to tell people Ryan is the brain and the heart of society staples. Yeah. Uh, he's the one that comes up with all the ideas and um, new initiative. You know, he yeah. spots opportunities everywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm not good at that. So I'm the hands and legs. Uh, I'm a very detail-oriented <laughs> person, you know, very meticulous. Right, right. So... Um, yeah, so, so he comes up with all these, um, dreams and goals and, and, and I try to build steps to, to kind of, um, reach them and achieve them. Mm. Yeah, so, so, so this whole idea of role reversal, well, it was really quite accidental. Mm. So what happened was, um, we were conducting a team building program. This was when Society Staples just, um, started. Oh no, actually no, before, before we officially registered. Right. Yeah, so what happened was, both of us used to work in an events company. Mm. Um, and one of the clients approached us again and they asked, you know, hey, uh, we wanted to do a Dragon Boat team building program. Can you do it for us? Mm. Um, and we were like, oh, you know, we are not with, um, that, that, um, old company anymore, but you know, if you still don't mind, we can kind of do it like a freelance, right? Mm. Um, and the client, uh, agreed. And so we went ahead with it. Um, and then the client wanted, um, to take photos, right? Mm. So, um, we knew that some of our deaf peddlers from Deaf Dragons, mm. um, they were always um, struggling to find a job. And mm. then we thought, you know, this might be a side income for them. So we actually got one of them down. Mm. Um, and then we just got him to help us to take photos. Mm. right? So I think he, he did about one or two sessions. And then the third time, Ryan was just like, hey, you know, how about... Um, because it's dragon boating, right? And, right? and obviously he's from Deaf Dragon, so he knows how to paddle. And right. Ryan was just like, you know, why not you start interacting with the participants and just start like teaching them how to pedal, right? Mm. So it can even be something as basic as how do you hold your pedal, yeah. right? Something like that. Um, so, 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 so we just kind of like tested it out. Uh, and I think on that day, we kind of needed manpower as well. <laughs> so, you know, it was just like a very good uh, person, like additional person to have. <laughs> Um, and, and yeah, he, he, he did a great job. Yeah. Um, participants really, really loved it. Yeah. Um, some participants didn't even know, um, that he was deaf until they actually tried, tried to like, talk to him. like, talk to him. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so he was that engaging and that interactive. Hmm. Um, and when we saw that, we were like, hey, you know, that there must be some form of untapped potential that, that society is not seeing, right? That, yeah. that right now we are seeing a little bit of it. Um, and then we started thinking, okay, um, you know, so since we're working with the deaf, um, and you know, we're trying to advocate for, you know, um, um, inclusiveness and persons with disabilities, right. what can we do, you know, with that, that entire deaf community and with this pool of people that we have in deaf dragons? Mm. And the, the quickest thing that came to mind was get them to teach sign language, right? So mm. people love learning sign language. It's very interesting. It's, uh, it's a, it's a novel thing. Um, mm. it, it's very fun to learn. It's, um, accessible to people of all ages, yeah. right? And who else would be a better fit to teach sign language than the deaf people yeah. themselves, right? Yeah. So so, so we kind of tested that out the, the next session and, you know, it was a hit with participants even when the session ended, um, you know, participants were still talking to themselves and you're asking yourself, oh, uh, letter A is what sign? Uh? Like how to sign this? You know, how to <laughs> yeah. sign that? And you could really tell that they were so, so engaged and, and that's when we decided, okay, let's formalize this thing, right? Yeah. Let's um, include, you know, um, deaf people teaching sign language yeah. in, in our workshops and our programs. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and, and, and just kind of, you know, carry, carry it on from there. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's quite incredible, actually. <laughs> there was just like some, some happy accident. And yeah. 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 Yes, it was. Yeah. Everything <laughs> in society status is very accidental. So, <laughs> so, so the first client you're talking about, right? So you, you, you didn't rope in the, your, your uh, former deaf colleagues until like the third session? Was it with the same client or was it with no, the different clients? No, different clients. Ah. Different clients, yeah. I, I think that one reason is also because um, we unfortunately um, can't include 
our dev facilitators in every single session. Mm. Um, because a lot of them have um, full-time jobs. Oh, yeah, see. and usually corporate clients would want to do their sessions on weekdays. Oh. Yeah, so, so that kind of pose a problem. But if a client wants to do it on weekends, okay. and if our dev facilitators are free, we will definitely get them down. Because we can really see that whole stark difference, right? Mm. When a dev facilitator is teaching sign language as opposed to us doing right. it, um, yeah, clients enjoy it so much more when, when, when it's coming from a deaf person. Right. And it, and it show reflects in, in the feedback forms that they write. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, so, um, I guess right now the, the challenge, um, or rather the, the goal for us is to really get enough sales volume so that we mm. can actually, um, permanently hire, um, at least just one facilitator with disability first mm. so that, you know, he or she has, um, yeah, they, they, they can be around in all sessions. Mm. Yeah, because right now, uh, we're, we're, our sales is still growing. So even if we permanently hire them, um, first of all, it doesn't really make a lot of, um, sense in terms of business wise, mm. the, the whole cash flow and financial. And secondly, um, when we don't have events, which we are currently not, do, not averaging out on, um, a lot a month, mm. uh, most of the time they'll just kind of be sitting in the office doing nothing. Mm. Yeah, because a lot of them are also not, um, IT trained, you know, um, they, they, they have very, very little education. So, right, right. you know, that whole admin office job, right. um, sometimes it's, it's not really the most ideal or suitable for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hands and legs that I'm hearing about. Yes. It's like, <laughs> it's like balancing, you know, balancing, you know, Ryan wants to, wants to, wants to help all these, uh, disability people, but then you're like, no, 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 no. We have all these things at the yeah, back end you have, to, yeah. you have to consider and all these things. Right. So, so, <laughs> okay. So, so touching on that, right. So I want to ask you based on the, when, when you first, when you first pulled in your, your deaf colleagues, right, to become mm. the facilitators, what was the reaction for them? You know, how did they approach it? Uh, how, how did they approach uh, taking this sort of like teaching uh, position and stuff like that? Were they like excited or did they face like, or did they, you know, were they worried about how people would think about them or stuff like that? Oh, they were very shy. Oh, really? Yeah, they, the, the, I remember the very first time they were, they were so shy and, um, I think they, they needed a lot of assurance that they, they that, um, that they were actually doing okay. Mm-hmm. So, Every, after every alphabet that he teach it to the client, yeah. he will turn back and look at me and like, oh, you know, no. just, just to kind of like, you know, do, do a bit of like check and balance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so, so they were, they were really, um, very, very worried. Um, I think they, they felt very uncertain about themselves. Yeah. And, and really, um, that's because no one in their lives has ever given them such an opportunity, right? Yeah, All yeah. along beneficiaries, even the term beneficiaries just state that, you know, they are just there and then they just wait for help to come. Exactly. Right? Nobody has ever flipped that, that entire, you know, um, situation around and, and get them to, to, to start teaching, yeah. um, you know, the, the hearing, um, and, and things like that. So, so yeah, at, at, um, at the beginning, we had to assure them a lot. Um, and, you know, even sometimes I had to co-facilitate with them, mm. um, just because they were so unsure of themselves. And, you know, mm. just by me standing beside them, they just felt so much better, <laughs> even though I wasn't even doing anything or like contributing anything, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, of course, after a few sessions, you know, um, things really improved. Their confidence level grew. Mm. Um, they, I, I can safely say right now, right? Um, they can engage the audience better than me. Oh really? Yeah, in, 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 in their, in their own little ways. Um, I really don't know how they do it, but sometimes <laughs> I just stand on the sideline and I'm just so, you know, amazed and mesmerized. Maybe you should be facilitating more than that. Yeah, they, they really, um, they, they can facilitate very, very well. Um, mm. they are extremely proactive now. Yeah. I don't even need to tell them, uh, what to do. Like naturally, they, they go to an event, uh, they, they can kind of preempt 
yeah. um, our needs. So, yeah. so you know, before even I tell them, they'll already be there. Right. Um, they are so much more helpful than the volunteers that I engage. Right. Um, you know, externally, um, from from like um schools and and things like that. So mm. so yeah, right now they're great. Um, they know our content at the back of their hands. Mm. So last time I used to have like slides and everything. Right now they don't even need it. They just just them alone is is good enough and engaging enough for our clients. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that 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 is incredible. Absolutely yeah. Incredible. That, that, that's why I love this idea of the the role reversal mm. because you know. We, 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 we normally are so used to having this stigma of like the, 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 the people with disabilities being sort of like second class citizens, yes, you know, yes. not being in position of power, yeah. not trusting them with disability. And yeah. then them, and then them, of course, if they're in this position, they feel so sort of stigmatized their whole lives. They don't have the confidence. And yes. I, I think it's so amazing that you're able to find this avenue where you can <laughs> give them this, this confidence to, to become more of themselves and help them achieve their, the potential. I think it's, it's, it's quite remarkable, actually. <laughs> Thank you. Like, 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 not only, is it, the, the beauty of it is not only are you providing value to your customers, right? But by providing them, because it, it's such a, and, and you talk about the sign language thing. Yeah. It's such an engaging thing, you know. Yeah. They can talk about their colleagues, A, you know, what, what's the, what's the sign for A? What's the sign mm. for B? It's very mm. engaging on a, on a team building. That, that, that sort of value perspective is very, right. is very good on that basis. Yeah. It's something different, right? At least. Yeah. But at the same time, you're giving value, so much value to your facilitators as well. They, they love doing it because they get to do something that they're not used to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess they just love sharing, um, the language that they use mm. every mm. day because they know that obviously sign language, you know, is, is definitely not as prominent or as yeah. common as like, you know, your other like spoken languages, right? Yeah. So just every single opportunity to share, they, they really just jump and maximize that opportunity that there is available. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is amazing. <laughs> Alright, so, <laughs> right, so, okay, so, so moving on, right? So I just wanna, I just wanna touch on this point. So mm. I read from another interview with, uh, you did with Asia for Good, right? You mentioned this that, uh, a McDonald's manager, after you, after you had a team building session with uh, them, they yes. hired two PWDs at yeah. the IMM Jurong East, right? A- yes. Attending your team building program. Yeah. So are there other similar stories from different employers that you can share? Um, well, so once again, this was a purely accidental, um, story. Um, so, so one of the, I, I would say, challenges for us is to really track how far our impact travels, mm. right? Beyond just that session and just, you know, increasing that whole level of awareness and education mm. for the participants in that session, right? Because mm. afterwards, um, you know, once, once they exit out of the session, we don't know, um, what are they doing and they don't know and um and we also don't know what do they intend to do right mm. so for this story um how how we chance upon it was um ryan was just having his meal at mcdonald's yeah um and then when he ordered he realized that the cashier was a person with developmental disability oh, wow. um and then after that he was like oh okay cool mcdonald's is higher you know starting to um hire right. um um pwds and you know they're becoming they're becoming more inclusive in their practices right. um then after that you know he just carried on so he just like um ate, ate his meal halfway and then you know the manager just came to him and was like hey, hey, hey hi do you remember me and then ryan was like um no then he was like oh, i was in one of your programs he's like oh my god i'm sorry like you know every day like there are so many participants <laughs> like i really don't remember you um yeah, and he, then he yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, and, and then the manager said, Oh, you know, I actually attended, um, you know, one of the sessions. Yeah. Um, and, you know, through that session, it, it really taught me, um, and opened up my, my whole perspective and mindset mm. about, you know, hiring, um, this, this, um, these people with special needs. And I, mm. and I, you know, through the session, I kind of realized that, um, it doesn't really take a lot to be inclusive. Like a lot of times people feel that, you know, they need to, wow, you know, change the entire company culture. They need to have yeah. like this whole, 
um, you know, stack of like resources, you yeah. know, in, in, to, to be able to do that. But, you know, the manager said, you know, the, through the entire program, it just showed me that, you know, it just takes very, very little, um, to, to, um, you know, little bit of adaptations and modifications to kind of include people like them. Um, so he decided to try it out. Right. Um, and then, yeah, so, so far it's been working quite well. So, so for his, um, I, I, I would say we are really, really very lucky. Like Ryan, you know, was having his meal at McDonald's at the right time and right place and, and everything. But yeah, so far after that, we haven't, heard stories like this about, mm. you know, um, some of our cl- corporate clients hiring persons with disabilities. Right, right. But other stories we've heard. Um, so one of our events in um, DBS, um, yeah. that was last year, Paddle for Good. Yeah. Um, so p- um, participants could actually choose between two disabilities, either being visually impaired or being deaf. Okay. Um, and they went through this entire simulation, which was modeled after a day in a life of a uh, adaptive um, dragon boater. Okay. Yeah, so with that, with that. So depending on which, um, disability simulation they chose, mm. um, they had to kind of like follow, um, the warm-ups and everything, which eventually led them to the Dragon Boat Ergo meter machines. And then it, it, it kind of just seemed like, you know, they were, you know, actual Dragon Boat race and, w- and racing were they with actually another in the person. Oh, uh, no, no, it was, <laughs> okay. um, done on land. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then, um, at the end of this entire simulation, we had this little board where people mm. could write reflections. Mm. And this young girl, um, I think she's about, probably secondary school age, yeah. um, she actually wrote, now I finally understand what my deaf parents go through every day. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that was just like a very short, like five-minute simulation, right? Uh, and, and I guess that it, it may not be... Um, it, it's definitely not the same as the McDonald's story in terms yeah. of the, you know, the, the whole employment model, yeah. but, you know, just knowing that this simple five-minute simulation has increased that understanding of yeah, her parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, when, 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 when we all read that, we were like, wow, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah there, there must be something going on over here. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible actually. Cause like, you know, you, like, 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 like you said, we were talking about this like intellectual gap, right? Mm. Even in the, in the little girl's case, even though she was the child of like deaf parents, she couldn't really like fully understand yeah. what it was like. Exactly. To be deaf. But then exactly. through your program, you're able to sort of simulate that experience. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move on now. Uh, touch touch more about the the business side, founding the business, okay. and sort of more the the economic sure. questions, right? Yeah. So delving into when you first founded the company, mm. so why did you decide to pursue a social enterprise instead of doing like a non-profit or charity? Ah, uh, okay. So, um. Once again, accidental. Uh, really, really, every, I, yeah, I always tell people everything in society staples is accidental. Um, okay, so, so what really happened, right? Um, back in 20, late 2014, mm. okay, was that, um, Death Dragons has been running for close to two years by then. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and the kind of impact we saw was when we first started the team, right. nobody was supportive. Everybody was telling us that, you know, it wouldn't work out because how, Dragon. How many people do you start out with then? Was uh, it just you and Ryan? very, yeah, yeah, just, just me and Ryan as okay. the founders. Yeah, and we, we, our very first training, we, we had four deaf paddlers and our mm. peak for deaf dragons was 26 deaf paddlers. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so, you know, at, at the beginning, you know, everyone was saying, oh, you know, dragon boating is such a vocal and communicative sport. Right. How on earth can deaf people paddle if, you know, they cannot hear? Yeah. We rely so much on verbal commands and, yeah, yeah so, so yeah. everybody was just telling us that the idea would fail, right, essentially. Yeah. Um, but by 2014 and 2014, some of these people were now coming back and then they were expressing things like, 
oh my god, sign language is so cool. I want to learn, you know, um, I want to volunteer with your team. Mm. Uh, I want to, you know, um, talk to your deaf peddlers. Mm. And, and you know, at the start, when we go to races, people would actually discriminate us. People would make nasty remarks. Oh, really? Um, yeah, but by 2014, people were like, oh yeah, deaf dragons, you know, good luck. <laughs> you, you know, like, so, so, so we, we kind of saw that whole shift in, the way people treated them, yeah. um, and you know that that whole mindset for 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 peddlers without disabilities as well, and yeah. yeah, so so we saw that we were like, hey, um, you know, I uh, we 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 wanted to um do more, right? Because right now we have achieved some level of impact within the Dragon Boat community, and we were yeah. thinking, how can we take this to a societal scale, right? Um, so we thought, okay, um, it has to run on a more sustainable basis because mm. no matter what, Death Dragons was still more of like an interest group, mm. right? Um, and 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 we started thinking. Um, and you know, just nice, I saw this, um, call for applications for the DBS hub, mm. um, you know, um, social entrepreneurship bootcamp. Right, right. And I was like, oh, you know, social enterprise, like, what's that? So I started Googling a little bit and I was like, oh, yeah, cool. It sounds a little bit like us, right? So we, we want to formalize things. So that will probably just be like a business. So, so um, back then you didn't even know what a social enterprise Yeah, yeah, I didn't, didn't totally. So I told you everything is accidental, right? And then I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So, you know, it's like business and then doing good at the same time and yet, you know, being sustainable and profitable too. Like, right, right, right. It, it just sounded like the best of everything, right? right like, right, right. like, I think back during then, if people tell me you can't have the best of everything, I'll tell them you can. Like this, this shows me that you can, right? So, right. so yeah. So, so the moment I saw that, and then I, I just signed ourselves up. Mm. Um, and, and we needed to pay um a fee. I remembered, mm. and, and back then we, we were still students, so we we're still really really broke. We are not like taking any part time job. The fee wasn't too high. Right? Yeah, it wasn't too high, but I guess just as a student, it was just it was still quite substantial. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I just wrote in and I was like, oh, you know, can we get a sponsorship? Because I saw like. You know, that, that there is like mm. a possibility of getting a sponsorship, uh, which we managed to get it, uh, thanks to DBS. So, right. you know, really, really, they have been very supportive of us ever since then. Right. Um, yeah, so, so we went to the bootcamp and I guess the entire three days, two night bootcamp, uh, it, it was not night, it was just like, yeah, three days bootcamp. And then by the end of the bootcamp, in fact, I think on the first day, we were like, yeah, yeah, okay, this is exactly what we want to do. It's like, confirm, confirm, social enterprise, yes, we are rolling with it, right? So, so yeah, it was just a lot of like, you know, exploring and then just, just being at the right place at the right time. I, I must say that our entire journey, we have been very privileged and very lucky. Was, was that bootcamp specifically for social enterprises? Yes, yes. Oh. Yes, specifically for it. So they, they chose you out of the, how many participants were there? Uh, I can't remember. I think it was about like 10 or 12 teams. Oh. Yeah, but okay. I'm not sure how many people applied right, right. but yeah but in, in the entire bootcamp it was really really good because um first of all it really um locked down or rather confirmed that yes you know we wanted to open a social enterprise right, right, and right. and it was only through that bootcamp that we knew what actually a social enterprise was because prior to that I was just like reading off from Google yeah. um and, and I had a lot of assumptions and yeah. you know the entire bootcamp really took us through the different levels of setting up a business, right? So yeah, like yeah. doing your, you know, your, your, your problem, um, definition and mm. then, you know, what's your solution mm. and blah, 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 you know, and then a bit of financials and everything. So it, it kind of gave us a pretty good, um, foundation to start off and at least, you know, get us to start thinking, okay, these are things that we need to take note and right, these are yeah. things that we are not good at. So, you know, we either need to find mentors or we need to, you know, beef up our knowledge on these certain, um, aspects of the, of that, that makes up a business. So yeah. yeah. So did, did, did you already know how to like set up a business plan, you know, set up a problem solution kind of thing? Oh no, 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 totally <laughs> you, not. You learned that, you learned that in the bootcamp itself? Or? Um, yeah, we, we learned a little bit in a bootcamp, but I would say it was a very, very steep learning curve. So mm. a lot of things we actually learned it on the go. Right. Um, yeah, I, I do have very, very, very like minimal knowledge because I studied business studies. Right. Um, um, in Nian Poly. So, 
yeah, so I have a little bit of background, but you know, um, all this. Not like a full fledged entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, and, and all this like, uh, diplomas, they usually teach you how to be a good employee, not employer, and they don't teach you how to set up your business. So, so yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of things we, we really just had to learn on the go, ask people. We had very, very supportive, um, uh, mentors and just networks. So, so those mm. people really, really helped us a lot. Mm. Yeah. So, so, so it's, it's kind of interesting because there was, there was one of the, the questions I wanted to ask you, you know, your involvement with DBS, mm. the grant and funding and everything. Yeah. So aside from the funding, right, how else, you know, would you say that DBS or getting involved with DBS help you, uh, in, in, you know, in the development of social, uh, society stable? Oh, DBS is amazing. Uh, they were <laughs> one of our very first, uh, yeah, it's true. They were one of our very first, um, clients that oh, really? act actually yeah that that supported us so when so we officially registered society staples in march 2015 mm. um and after you won after you got the grant or before uh af- before, before before everything was before okay yeah we only got the grant uh, like i think from 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 june onwards oh. so yeah so so what happened was um they they were looking okay so dbs runs this um annual event called the dbs marina regatta mm. right um and then they were looking for like a um, CSR angle. So every yeah. year they, they do have a CSR angle. Um, yeah. and they, they approach us, um, you know, and, and, um, DBS Marina Regatta, one of the highlights, um, it's always the Dragon Boat races that was happening on land. Mm. Uh, and we have always been wanting, you know, from our experience of Death Dragons, um, to further increase that opportunity to other groups of, you know, disabilities. Mm. Um, but one of the main, um, um, challenges that we always face was the water safety issue. Um, especially when you're dealing with, um, persons with developmental disabilities. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, so organizations are always very strict. Yeah. Um, so that's when Ryan found, you know, this Dragon Boat Ergo Meter. Mm. Uh, and Ryan thought, hey, you know, you still simulate that whole Dragon Boat experience. People get to learn how to pedal, but, um, you remove entirely the whole water safety, um, issue and challenges that did, we were facing. Did you have to rent that system or do you buy that system? Um, so, it, uh, we, we, for the first year, we rented the machines from RP. Mm. Second year onwards, uh, DBS actually donated those machines to us. Oh, wow. Yeah, they, they sponsored, they sponsored the machines. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, so, you know, it was really through that event. Um, so we managed to, in that sense, fulfill our little dream. Um, so we invited, um, you know, a lot of, um, beneficiaries from, from three, three VWOs to come down and yeah. they pedal and we organized like a whole competition for them. So there was yeah. like a heat semi-final finals. Yeah. So that was our very first, um, big event and, and DBS actually, you know, believed in us and trusted us enough, um, to kind of work with us. Um, yeah. So, so it, it really started from there. And then, you know, year, year on year, even like this year, we were also involved in the Marina Regatta. Mm. So, you know, every year, um, they, they, yeah, yeah, they have always, um, kept us in mind for their events. Um, whenever there are other, um, opportunities like conferences and things like that, um, mm. you know, related to social entrepreneurship, they would always, um, invite us. You know, they covered us in Asia for good. So, yeah. you know, really a lot of, um, support in terms of marketing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, in terms of credibility as well, because, right, you know, yeah. them being one of our first clients and, you know, being DBS, they are, they are so big, right? It really just boosted that, that entire, um, um, boost, boosted our whole, um, reputation. Mm. Yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah, DBS. Would is, you, is would so you, <laughs> would you consider it lucky that they, you know, DBS host this, uh, annual, annual Marina Regatta thing? Or would oh. you rather consider it opportunistic on your part? I guess a little bit of both. So once again, um, you know, right place at the right time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and really, um, you know, I, at, at some point, uh, <laughs> <laughs> too coincidental to have, to have yeah, all these well, things falling well, into. Well, I mean, um, uh, I I would definitely have to give credit to 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 Ryan as well. He is very good at spotting, um, 
opportunities mm. everywhere, mm. right? So, um, yeah, um, so, so I, I guess sometimes that really helps us to be at the right place at the right time because, you know, he can go to an event, hear something or see something and yeah. then come back and then say, hey, you know, I think we should do this, we should do that. And yeah. then I kind of like keep it in the ideas bank. Um, and then, you know, like a few days or a few weeks later, there will be like a, a pretty similar opportunity that pops up and, right. you know, this new idea would kind of fit in pretty well. Right. So, so, so yeah, uh, yeah. What percentage of Ryan's ideas do you have to, you know, keep in check? Or, or what, what, what percentage of ideas do you say, okay, let's go for it? Uh, After running through your, your, your tests and your checks? Um, well, at the start, it took a lot more out of him to convince me to actually say yes. Hmm. Yeah, I am not a risk taker. So uh, sometimes <laughs> I, I really don't understand why am I a social entrepreneur. Because, you know, <laughs> entrepreneurs in nature are risk takers. Right? I'm not, I'm not. I'm a, I'm a very careful person. Right. Uh, I am very fearful of everything. I, I don't like change. I love structures, which, you know, none of running a business actually gives me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, so I, I guess I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> but, you know, um, yeah, so, so at the start, it, it, uh, it was really quite tough on Ryan because anything that he says, right, instantly yeah. I would just be like, no. <laughs> yeah, like, like, you know, like, I, I didn't even want to hear it. I was just like, mm, no, like, new ideas, <laughs> no, risky, no, never tested before, no, right? So everything was just a no. Uh, and then I think after a while, um, I grew bolder. I decided that, hey, you know, I, I needed to take more risks. And, yeah. and, and yes, I was stifling him, yeah. right? Um, um, so after a while, um, I, I, and it's, it, it definitely works both ways, right? Then he also kind of knew that, okay, Deborah needs more, um, details, you know, she needs more like evidence and like right, background. Right, right. Um, for her to say yes, right? So he, he started providing me that. Mm. Uh, and I started, um, opening up my mindset and, and I started telling myself, you know, stop, stop being so narrow. Um, you know, you have to take a little bit more risk. Otherwise, like society papers would, would, would never even happen, right? Exactly. Like, like, yeah, we, businesses have to innovate and, mm. and things like that. So, so yeah, so I guess now it's a lot easier for him because last time he would just say, oh, I want to do this, 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 right? Now he will say, okay, <laughs> I have a new idea. So what I saw was, ta, 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 he would tell me all the gaps. <laughs> And after he will say that, then I think like current situation is like that, like that, like that. So I think like we can do this, you know? So like even in a way right, that he presents right, right. it, it's a lot better. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds a lot more convincing right now, now, now that there's this whole structure to it rather than just, oh, you know, in a single sentence, I want to do this, yeah. stop. And then I'll be like, huh, no. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so yeah, so I guess it's a lot, it's a lot so, better so, now. So over time, both of you sort of learn to like compromise. Right? Yeah, yeah, so of sort of, course, like, of course. Yes. Worries and fears yes, and stuff. Yes, like. of course. So would you say that the first big like risk that you took was, uh, Setting up the, the Death Dragons event back in 2012 or? Um, wow, I've took so many risks. What's the first <laughs> risk that I took? Um, well, I, I didn't really see Death Dragons as a risk, um, simply because it was really just like an interest group to me. Mm. Right. So, so, so yeah, I guess the, the, the first risk I took was, Agreeing to be the co-founder of Society Staples. Wow. When, 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 when Ryan actually wanted to make the big jump into it. Let's, let's start doing this. Yeah, yeah. Committing full yes, time. Yes, yes. I see. Yeah, I yeah. I, I, I would really say that was like the very first big risk that I took. Cause, yeah. because this time it's like an actual commitment and responsibility. Yeah. Not, not that Death Dragons wasn't, but it's just, Death Dragons wasn't like an official thing, right? This one is right, like, right. oh, you know, you're registering on Accra, and then like you're a shareholder, and then you know, there's like all these kind of like, 
things that you have to follow and you know rules and regulations. Yeah, all these things just yeah, I I, I don't like it. Real world, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was it, and it was really really a brand new world, right? Death Dragons was still very familiar because we were dragon boaters ourselves, mm, right? So mm. it's just like okay, like teaching someone else that, that, that of a sport that we have been doing for years, mm. right? But setting a whole business is like nobody has ever taught me that. I've never yeah. studied before. I never even like think that I would ever set up a business. Yeah. Yeah. So there was just like too many question marks and yeah. uncertainties. <laughs> It's quite interesting, really, because because actually I read that <laughs> from one of your interviews that you did, you said you it said that you hid the this uh, society stables from your mom. Yeah. When you, when you first started out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, because well, I mean, my 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 mom was not very happy when I was um running Death Dragon. Oh really? Yeah, she she was not very supportive. So so even then, then, when when it was when you considered it wasn't much of a respect then. Your, your mom was already not very happy with it. Yeah, yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't at all. So, oh, wow. um, okay, so back then I was actually in the national team. Mm. Um, and, and what happened was, um, I was spending close to like 12 hours every single weekend, both Saturdays, Sundays, in Kalang, where, oh, wow. where, where, where we dragon boat, right? right so, right. um, I had double training. So my trainings will be like from 7 all the way to about 2 p.m., um, oh. split into two sessions. Um, two or three la, and then Death Dragons will be like four to six. Right. Right. So, yeah, in fact, more than like, yeah, close to 12 hours. So, because of that, I mean, obviously, my mom was not very happy with it. Mm. Um, she felt that I was spending way too much time, you know, on, on, on this spot. And, um, you know, the thing she kept saying was, oh, you know, if you have so much time to, like, help other people, why don't you help your brothers? Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and she also said, like, you know, if you have so much time, why don't you actually take up, like, a part-time job? Uh, and start contributing to household expenses, right? Because we, we were doing Death Dragons like totally pro bono. We're not paid right, or anything right, at all. Right, right. Um, yeah. So, so I guess because of that, she was just very, very, very unhappy. Um, and I think it just really didn't help the fact that I was coaching Death Dragons, like deaf people, right? Instead of like, you know, people with autism and, and yeah. Right, so, right. yeah. So she just, yeah. So, so, um, I knew that she was very unhappy, lah, because she, 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 she didn't really hide it, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, so when Society Staples started, I was like, oh no, this is like even worse. Like, like it's a bigger commitment, you know, bigger responsibility. Like, oh no, like, like, you know, like, like, oh yeah, I, I shouldn't tell her about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, but I guess after a while, then obviously I couldn't hide it anymore. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, with all these like media interviews and everything. So, yeah. so, so she would know eventually. Yeah. Um, but, but, oh, right, right, right now she's, she's definitely a lot, a lot more supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last time she, didn't used to ask me much about my events. Now she's asked me, you know, oh, how, um, how is business doing? Mm. Uh, when we, when she knew that we were shifting to a new office, she offered to, you know, come down to take a look and, mm. you know, give me some of her. She, she's quite good in like interior design. Oh, so really? she's, yeah, so she started telling oh, me oh, like, the, oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you can put some plants here. You can, you, you know, just, just things like that. So, so yeah, that, yeah, that's how I know that she's, she's supportive. Like, and, um, she, she, she's very, very proud when I get featured, mm. um, in the media and then she, she shares it faster than me on her own <laughs> Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and she's very happy when like she, she garners a lot of likes. So like, you know, maybe the previous goal she gets 50 likes and right, then this right, time right. round she gets like 60. She's like, oh my god, there's more people. Yeah, she, she gets very excited lah. So, so yeah, yeah, it, it's quite cute. Yeah. That's amazing, you know. So, so, it's especially a testament to, to how society stables is. You know, maybe from your, your, mom, your mom's point of view, it's not really just helping, focusing on deaf people now. It's helping persons know, with disabilities. PWDs in yeah. general, right? Yes. So, so, you know, you're, you're, she's, she's sort of coming onto your view where, where you're thinking, you know, I want to help all these people in general, not mm. just deaf people, right? Yes. You know, it's not my yes. intention to just help them. That's right. Just, just, it just happens that they, they, you know, they're, they're the ones helping us with the dragon boat and stuff. Yeah. And all that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hope, hope, hope your mom shares this uh, podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm very certain she will. 
Right. So okay. So so the the last topic on the 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 business side, right?、Mm. So we're speaking about risk, you know, risk taking and stuff like that. So what 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 is the current size of your company, and do you have any plans to sort of scale the business or to make it regional,、mm. bring it through throughout Southeast Asia or something? Okay. So so the team is currently at it um at. At its biggest now,、mm. uh, we have a total of eight people.、Mm. So we have five interns and three full time. So myself, Ryan,、mm. and, and, and another full timer.、Mm. Um, yeah, I've never managed so many people before. So so <laughs> that that itself is a bit scary and fearful. Right, right. It is really not easy, like being a boss. Right.、Uh, okay. Now, do we have plans to scale the business? Well, of course, definitely. Yeah. Um. Our very very so if people always ask me why、right, is your end goal for society staples, I always tell them is to close down, <laughs> right? And then people will look at me like, are you crazy? Like every single entrepreneur will tell me, oh, you know, I want to expand like you know to all the countries in the world. I want to have like you know a turnover of like don't know how many billions, like hundred billions or something. Yeah, I tell them I want to close down, right? Um, yeah. So so、uh, but I have to clarify, it's not. Closing down because you know we are in the rates and then we are not sustainable anymore. Right, but right. really, the day where we can close down, it's simply because this whole problem about persons with disabilities being discriminated and excluded just、mm. doesn't exist anymore, right?、Mm. And social, to, my 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 personal belief is social enterprises only exist to solve a social problem. When that social problem is not there. There's no need for you anymore, and you should、mm. be happy about it, right?、Mm. I think the day that society staples can close down, I will be extremely happy. If they're closing down for the right reasons, lah, right? I would, yeah, I would be very, very happy, and I would move on to the next social problem, or probably like take a break, cause yeah, it's very tiring. But, <laughs> but yeah, so so I, but I guess you know, in order to kind of reach and attain that skill,、right. we really do need to collaborate a lot, and we do need to build this whole web of networks, right? We need. To turn more people into advocates,、mm. um, not just you know on 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 lookers or passerbys. We need to make people、um, more aware.、Mm. Uh, we need to get people to start thinking about you know what are some of the the dis the、um, the, the 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 issues that the disability、um, sector faces.、Mm. And I guess most importantly is we need to start mainstreaming disability issues as part of the whole policy making. Um, perspective, right? So,、yeah. so right now, a lot of the times is people make policies for the large part of population, and then they think about marginalized groups, right? Not not just disability itself, um, itself, but all sorts of marginalized groups, right? So, marginalized groups always come as an afterthought, right? The, that's the current way I see.、It. Why so? You know, I think I think the day where when people think about policies, they think about everyone, like really the entire perspective. Um, that's when we will progress and move on a lot faster.、Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean to be fair, you know, from from the perspective of a policymaker, it's impossible to have this like catch-all yes, policy that, that 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 appeals to everyone, yeah, right? Yeah, certainly. That's why that 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 that's why I think that you know, some sometimes trying to, for example, all these like uh uh activists or or protesters, you know, they're they're advocating for the marginalized groups, right? They're,、mm. they're you know you know criticizing government. Why are you not taking care of this group? Yeah, that group, whatever, yeah. Right? Some you know some sometimes I think it's not really their fault that. That you know they 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 are not re- they are not appealing to these groups. Yes, groups. it's just impossible. Yeah,、right? it's it's impossible to、yeah. have to have a a catch all program、Correct. that meets everyone's needs,、Correct. make everyone happy. Yes, and no policy fits everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's why that's why I think that you know the idea of social enterprise is so so wonderful. It's because、mm. you individuals are taking it up on their own initiative to go and fix these problems. Yeah, you know, on their yeah, on their own time. You know,、yes. it's it's the one step. Further,、uh, from from the being the the activist or the protester,、yeah. when they're just when they're just raising issues or or, or you know di- discussing some issue, right? They are doing something about it、mm. to go and make it better.、Mm. Yeah, you know, actively doing something about it.、Mm. Yeah. 
Right. So, and, and that's like, okay. So, so that, on that point, that, that's a very nice, uh, a bridge to my next, uh, set of topics. And right. this will be the last set. We've really run for quite a bit. <laughs> but, <laughs> I really want to, I really want to get your opinions on this, right? Okay. So this, this last set of questions will be on the idea of social enterprise, sort mm. of like, uh, entrepreneurship mm. as a whole, right? Mm. So how do you think, uh, social enterprise compares with like a traditional business? You know, uh, this is the, one of the big questions at the start that I had was that, are social causes and profit goals compatible, you know? Or do you think that having social goals sort of limits the ability of the business to, towards growth or profitability or scalability, that mm. sort of thing? Well, um, it, it's, it's not easy to balance both. Yeah. Right. Because, um, a lot of the times they are in tension. Right. right. Um, yeah. So, but I, I, I guess the, the, the way I see it and the way of how we run society staples is, it really depends on the model of your business, mm. right? So, so truth is, a lot of social enterprises in Singapore are actually not sustainable. Mm. Yeah, we have the the number of people, um, or rather companies registering at, um, themselves as social enterprises has yeah. increased, you know, so many times, right? But yeah. how many of this actually, you know, remain and continue surviving after one year? Yeah, not many, right? After three years, even lesser, and then yeah, the, the figure goes on and, and, and dips further. Mm. So, um, do you think? Sorry, do you think on that part, it's because maybe it's. You know, social enterprises are started by more by millennials, more by young people. Do you think they're maybe a bit naive about the business side or the sustainability um, aspect? Yeah, definitely, definitely, without a doubt. Um, so a, a lot of people, I think, when we when we start up as a social enterprise, and yeah. even though we call ourselves a social enterprise, um, a lot of the times the people that I come across is always carrying a charity mindset. They are always adopting a charity mindset, right? right? So right. I guess when um, you, you are the founder and you kind of think that way. Naturally, everything that you do, every decision that you make, right. um, you follow a charity. Right. Right. And as a business, you, you have to survive, right? You have to be sustainable. Charities can take donations. Social enterprises can't. Mm. Um, and, and, and that, that's, that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, social enterprises close down and they are not able to survive. Mm. So, yeah. It, and I guess the, the business model is pretty important as well. So I have seen, um, so I, I don't know what's the best model and I don't think that there, there will ever be, but I have seen, um, you know, other like social enterprise models where they do purely commercial projects mm. and then they get like a profit of that margin to do social projects, oh. right? So it, it's, it's a little bit like, I would say a sponsorship model in that sense. Okay. Um, so, so the, the, the drawback that I see for this model is, you will always be in tension because let's say if today, um, there are two events fighting for your time and your attention, yeah. right? One is a social project, one is a commercial. Which yeah. one do you choose, right? Yeah. And if you keep taking the commercial project, then people will say that, oh, then you're just like a for-profit business, yeah. right? You're not a social enterprise anymore, right? And I guess it's just very, very, very difficult to, to, to just kind of balance that out. And you know, how much of that profit margin should you channel yeah. to, you know, your social projects? And yeah, it, it, it's just this whole, you know, complex and very, very intricate, um, um, problem that you have to work through. So yeah. to, to me, the, the best model or rather currently right now, I, I, I feel the, the, the more ideal model would be every single commercial project also delivers social impact. Right. Then, then in that way, you, you blend the two yeah, together. Right? Yeah. And you're not in so much tension. Right. Mm. So, and, and I guess you, you know, you would 
feel at peace and simply put you you would be able to sleep at night mm. like right without thinking like oh you know am i focusing too much on being too commercial you know what about my social goals you know mm. what about my whole social mm. impact because you're blending the two together so you know yeah. that every single project that you take there is some level of social impact yeah. right and then if you have like excess cash then you can talk about you know creating just purely social projects yeah right but at the very least you got your baseline locked down yeah yeah and i guess you you guys do it because you know the the, the kind of team building exercise you do sort of incorporates the idea of like, you know, what it's like to be disabled, the experience yes. of being disabled. Yes. And even you go, you go one step further, bring again the facilitators, yeah. getting them to, to experience what it's like being yeah. a facilitator, getting that leadership position. Yes, exactly. Thing, yeah. Which, you know, sort of like a, a walk, walk, walk as you talk kind of, walk where you talk kind of like, mm. uh, model, uh, mm. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that's, that's quite interesting. You brought up the, for, for, for social enterprises, they're having difficulty to balance the, the business side and like the social side of it. Mm. If it's too distinct, then you, you, you're really going to have a lot of trouble. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, yes. I, I don't want to like be too critical, but like, even though when I, even when I was doing research, right, the, the first, the first uh, example that I brought bakery wellness, right? Mm. So they want to sell pastries, but at the same time advocate for mental awareness. Right. So, so sometimes the limitation is that, the social cause is a little bit too abstract, abstract from the business activities. From the business, exactly. Yes, yeah. yes that is not a problem. So, so yeah. it's hard to really marry the two or That's de- right. deliver, deliver like a, a value prospect to customers that has these two together, you know, that sort of thing. But as like exactly. the, the other company that, that I talked about, Innovate, Innovate CrossFit, yeah. theirs is a bit easier because their cause is just, you know, healthy lifestyles. Mm. And their business is already, you know... Yeah, it's, it's a gym and all of that, <laughs> it's right? It's a gym yeah, and all yeah, that. exactly. So, yeah. so it's, it's a lot easier to marry yeah. the two. So finding that blend is also very important in terms of the business activities that you want to do. Yeah. And how does it, you know, link and, and, and draw back to your entire social cause. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So, okay, so... So to, to, towards the, towards the end of this interview, right? Mm. Um, I just want to talk about, you know, uh, being a social entrepreneur, being, you know, reaching out to, to millennials, advocating for, for more social entrepreneurship in Singapore. Would, you know, would, would you be so kind as to share, you know, what kind of challenges have you faced in setting up the business and would you recommend, uh, younger people, millennials to become social entrepreneurs? I, I recently saw that you wrote an article on, on the website, mentioning why specifically why millennials are <laughs> social enterprises' best employees. Really. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, challenges of setting up the business. Um, I I would split it into two parts, right? So personal and um business, right? So yeah. I guess on a, on the business end, um, challenges of setting up a business and running it would really be the lack of knowledge and experience. Uh, like I said, we were navigating a, 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 a entirely new world. It was yeah. a very, very steep learning curve. Um, yeah. you know, if we had some of like these background knowledge, I think it would it would ease the process a little bit better. Yeah. Um yeah, but but no matter what, I, I don't think you can ever be fully prepared, right? So even when you have like 40 years of like corporate experience and then yeah, I think yeah, you go and set yeah. up business, it there will still be a lot of things yeah. that, that uh that, that um that you don't know, right? So yeah. yeah, people always ask this question like, oh you know, should I gain experience first or you know things like that. Um I would say just 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 really um do what you think is best because there will never be like the the hundred percent like right time yeah. or, or the or the day where you feel that I have enough resources and I've learned you know yeah. gain enough like knowledge to 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 kind of do this. Yeah. Um, personal wise, I guess you know um running a business is 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 very um it's quite scary because things are really really very risky, right? If I were to work um for someone else, I would have a stable income every single month, mm. right? Running your own business, um, whether or not you have income depends on how much you push yourself, right? Mm. And sometimes you can push yourself extremely hard, but you may not get the results that you want, mm. right? That's just that's just the true reality of it. Um, and there's there's a lot of things that you have to keep, 
um, working through. And I guess the, the hardest part is um, having that faith and belief in yourself that you are doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, because especially when, you know, we're running a social enterprise, you have to think of that whole social angle as well, right? Yeah. Sometimes I ask myself, you know, what makes me or what makes, you know, society staples the, the, the best person or like the best company to be addressing these issues, yeah, right? Yeah, um, when true. we get grants, I start thinking, you know, if this grant was given to another organization, mm. would they be able to do a better job than us, right? So, mm. so you ask a lot of these questions and, and really you have no answers to them, right? Nobody has, right? So sometimes it's really when you wake up and you are so uncertain and unsure of yourself and your own, you know, capabilities and, mm. and stuff like that. How do you then convince yourself and, and, you know, to, to, to continue going, right? So that you can last a good yeah. fight. I, I guess that is really the, the, the toughest part for me, at least. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. I guess one way you guys did it was you had Ryan to, to sort of like motivate you guys to keep the company going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes Ryan also has his like certain like low periods. It's, mm. it's, it's just normal for everyone, right? Like mm. certain days we'll just feel very unsure, uncertain about the things that we do. Mm. Uh, we'll start questioning ourselves. But, but yeah, it's just really how do you, how do you overcome them? Uh, right. and I guess you have to be very, um, you have to be able to sit with that discomfort, right? Because sometimes it's not so much of, I need to overcome this feeling, but it's more about recognizing and, and you know, just acknowledging that, okay, yes, I feel a bit uncertain, mm. you know, but, you know, um, I'm, I'm just going to sit with it and I'm just going to do my best and then, you know, we'll see what happens next, right? And then planning for, for, for that future. So, mm. so, so yeah, on, on this part, yeah, for myself, it, it really has been quite tough, like, just managing this self-criticism. Yeah. Mm. I guess maybe, you know, as advice for, for young social entrepreneurs, then you would say, you know, be okay with uh, feeling uncomfortable. You know, yeah. you don't have to be perfect jumping into it. Yeah. It's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be uncertain. It's yes, gonna be it's risky. Gonna be tough. Yeah. It's gonna be tough. Yeah, no all of that. For for everyone, you know. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, for are. everyone. Yeah, and and I think really the 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 one key message that I always um tell people is pick the battles that you're willing to fight for. Mm. Yeah, I guess you know when you run a business, there will be. So many opportunities and so many challenges, right. right, that are coming at you that, that wants your attention, that, right. you know, demands your time. Right. Um, you, you can't do everything. You cannot say yes to everything. You mm. will burn out. And that's the worst thing that could happen, mm. right? I've suffered so many burned out and, and, and it's really, really very, very detrimental to the business. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, really pick, pick, pick the battles that are willing to fight for. Because at least when, when the road and when the journey gets very, very, very tough, mm. you know that this was a choice that you made. You know that this was a decision that you made, right? And you would more, likely stick to it as opposed to you know sticking to something that was a choice made for you by yeah, someone else right yeah. so so really just 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 pick the battles that you're willing to fight yeah. for because yeah. because at the, at, the end of, at the end of the day as an entrepreneur versus being just an employee you're in control of your own fate right yes. your own outcome yes you know it's not it's not based on like oh what the boss thinks who to, who the boss is going to promote yeah. or how much bonus you're yeah. going to get exactly thing. exactly yeah. yeah so i guess you know would, would you say that Maybe some of it is like sort of like mindset that, that Singaporeans culturally have that we are more sort of risk averse. We're not, we're more not willing to sort of jump into, to, to, to these new ventures or stuff like that. We, we prefer stability over, over, you know, uh, over being bold and stuff like that. You're, you're comparing mm. entrepreneurship in Singapore and comparing mm. entrepreneurship in say America or, or yeah. the UK in the West. Uh. Well, I mean, definitely culture, um, certainly plays a part, right? So, mm. Um, I, I think for, for Singaporeans at least, so, so everybody, even, you know, US, we all will conform, mm. right? And, you know, I mean, th- there's a certain, like, societal expectations and, you yeah, know, that, yeah. that, that you are supposed to follow, right? right? right. So, so everybody's, like, subjected to that. But I guess in, in, in Singapore, it's, 
it is probably a little bit more prominent in that sense. But looking at the millennials these days, I think that, you know, we are quite like, we're quite westernized in our thinking already. <laughs> like we, maybe when you talk about our parents' generation, then you know, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, right now, you know, increasingly millennials are all having like, um, um, you know, minds of their own. Um, you know, most of them, they, they, they want to lead a life, uh, with purpose, with meaning, right? They want a job that is able to, you know, provide them that. They, they are not just looking for a stable income and a, yeah. and a, and a paycheck yeah. of a certain amount. So, so yeah, but I guess no matter what culture still plays a part, um, it is still risky. And I, and I think, um, it is very, very scary, especially when you have no social support or very, very minimal social support, right? Knowing that you are mm. kind of jumping into this whole brand new world alone and, you know, just, just having like nobody there to kind of support you. I, I, I think that that really takes a lot, a lot, a lot of courage yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. So, th- so th- that's why I was, you know, kind of surprised to see even Rage, right? The, Center for Social Enterprise. Mm. An actual organization exists to yeah. sort of like centralize all the, the social enterprise yes. in Singapore and give yes. like maybe support and stuff yeah. like that, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's to make us more credible as well. Because yeah. otherwise people will be like, who are all these like young kids? <laughs> I mean like, yeah, so, so I, I definitely don't look like my age. I look very young. I had clients ask me like, you know, oh, are you an intern? Like, do you just finish O levels? Yeah, but it's true, it's true, right? Because I'm, 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 I'm very, very small size. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so, you know, having an organization like Rage really gives us credibility, yeah. which we severely need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially for me. Yeah, right? yeah, when I go and meet a client myself, and then, you know, sometimes I'm like talking to someone who is like, you know, maybe like 40, like middle age, like 40, yeah, 50. Yeah, yeah. And then they look at me like, what, what, like, why am I talking to a young girl? Like, are you Deborah? <laughs> like, you know, your email states like you're the co-founder, but you know, like, like why? You, you know, people have a certain image of an entrepreneur, right? right? right and, right, and obviously right. a lot of millennials don't fall into that whole category, right? And, 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 you know, for the very first meetup, and especially when a young startup, it's mm. very hard to build that credibility, yeah. Mm. So, so organizations like race, um, they really, really help. Yeah. Well, if I, if I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being so commendable and being so daring to no, really step thank up, you for having step me. up on the entrepreneurship <laughs> skill. So, so, right. So last question. Yeah. This is the, the bonus question, right? Okay. So who in the field of social enterprise would you say is your sort of, do you admire or, or is your idol? And maybe what quality of theirs would you like to have and how would you work towards that quality? Mm, who do I admire? This is a tough one. Um, I don't think there's one single person or enterprise that I admire. Mm. I would say I admire a whole range of like different entrepreneurs and social enterprises for mm. different reasons, right? Mm. Um, but always the reason is just how, especially for those enterprises that have been, you know, um, here, like existing for very, very long. Yeah. How did they survive that long? And how do the founders do it? That is always the question that I have and always the point that I admire them about, right? Because being in this journey and knowing how tough it is, for you to, you know, like multiply that for like maybe 10 years or 20 yeah, years for all those yeah. huge organizations. It's, it's really, really a, a, a very, very, very commendable effort. Yeah. And I, I guess just for that, um, and I guess, you know, just being in this sector, whenever I meet a fellow social entrepreneur, you, you really just will have that mutual respect, right? And just that admiration for, hey, you know, um, not following or not conforming to, so, uh, you know, social norms, not taking like, you know, the traditional route or like the normal route or the good route, but mm. you know, just really standing by what you believe in mm. and you know, investing so much time and effort in that. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I guess that itself, even if your enterprise fails like eventually or you know, for whatever reasons, you know, just seeing them take that step 
yeah. out of their comfort zone and just throwing themselves into this whole, um, you know, this whole like and their entirely new world. I, yeah. I guess that that really just yeah it 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 gives me a lot of respect, lah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice that you brought that up because like a lot of people when they see entrepreneurs, right, they see them as already the, the destination. They see them as the ready-made product when they're already successful, yeah, when yeah. they're already big, right? Yes. But for example, for, for you know, maybe Ma'in, you know, of the, mm. you know, they, they don't see like the hours and hours and yes, hours that they slave away exactly. in the background, the amount of Precisely. stress and the amount of uh, uh, uncertainty they have to yeah. go through. Yeah. And I guess that's something that you only experience when you are yourself. Yes. Yes. Cause yeah. you just see the nice things, right? You just see like, wow, society status wins yeah. so many awards, yeah. so many, you know, media. Yeah. Like, like, come on, like, that's just, that's just like 1% of what we really do. Maybe even less than 1%, yeah. right? Yeah, but, but people don't know these things, right? So, so yeah, really, you know, just, just having, um, knowing that there's this entire community that faces the same challenges, yeah. um, that, that we do. Yeah. yeah. It's just very heartwarming and it's just, yeah. Yeah, I really, really respect that for, for just sticking, sticking out this entire journey. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and with that, we'll bring the end of today's episode. Episode. Thank you so much for sharing your stories, Deborah, and for coming on the show. So are there any, you know, upcoming events that you like to promote or, or any websites or pages that you like to promote? Upcoming events. Uh, well, we're going to have a, um, kind of like a giant games pop up, um, mm. happening in, in July. The details are not out yet, but mm. you can always check out our Facebook. Mm. So just, um, just search, um, Society Staples, um, follow us on Instagram. Mm. Um, and yeah, you can always check out our website as well. Mm. Um, you know, for people who are interested to engage our services, um, there's a contact form at our, at our website. So yeah, you can always just, um, check that out, check that out, um, drop us a, 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 a note. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So. As usual, if you enjoyed this episode, you can help by subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and by leaving a rating review. You can follow the Economical Rice podcast on social media through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and catch additional content through the website at www.economicalricepodcast.com. Thank you for listening. This has been your host, Danny, with guest Deborah Lam of Society Staples. Tune in again next week, where we're here, we hope to serve you the grains of capitalism. Mm-hmm.